spirits of gentleness and humility as we hear the word that you have given to Pastor Joe today. May it pierce our hearts, pierce our minds, and may we end up being hearers and then doers of your word. In the name of your son, you may be seated. So I was thinking through some of the great three-piece bands. You know, I think like ZZ Top, did you know? Three-piece band. Grand Funk Railroad, three-piece band. Rush, great. And then the Grace Life Worship Team obviously can be a great three-piece band as well. Good job, guys. Thank you. Um, so before I get started, I can understand that, that Father's Day is a mix of emotions for many people, ranging a big range. And so uh, for that reason, I'm glad that Father's Day is celebrated on Sunday when God's people can come together. I think that's important. Uh, we're continuing our series on the life of Joseph, calling it Surviving in Egypt. For those that haven't been here, Surviving Egypt. Egypt is a metaphor for the world around us and what's going on in the world and how we survive in a fallen world that frankly is fighting against us every step of the way. And uh, today's message in number 13 in our series of the life of Joseph surviving Egypt, I called Pharaoh's best day. Now, as a way of introduction, if life in Egypt, <coughs> excuse me, contained no tragedy or no threat of it, I wonder really how often we'd be willing to hear from God. So give an example of a tragedy. So right after 9-11, I was here in Sarasota when it happened, and I remember how people <coughs> with no real appetite for truth for decades began to listen. And they would ask me, do you think this was predicted in Revelation? Is God punishing our country? Is there more to come? And these are obviously questions I couldn't answer. <clears throat> but that was really nothing compared to the impact that 9-11 had on the people of New York City. So to really understand the impact of that tragedy, you have to talk to the people that actually lived it. And so when I moved to New York City in 2005, <coughs> excuse me, just four years after 9-11 happened, it was even more stark, the impact that that tragedy had. In our church that we were serving in, in New Hyde Park, which is just a mile outside of Queens, uh, I met actually many people in our church that survived 9-11. Some of those people were near or even inside the World Trade Center, the complex, when it happened. And many of those that weren't necessarily inside or near, there were others that had to actually walk home that day because the mass transit was shut down, the roads were closed, and they had to walk across the bridges, the, the Queensboro Bridge and, and, and the, and the uh, Brooklyn Bridge and all those bridges. They had to walk over into Long Island back to get home. <coughs> uh, there were people in our church that had lost family or friends, either as victims or as first responders. The impact of that tragedy had huge ripple effects in New York and the surrounding suburbs and the communities. And so these people, I began to ask, <clears throat> tell me about what it was like here after 9-11. What was going on in the suburbs, in the city? And they began to recount to me how all the churches in the city and the suburbs, like Long Island, were full the next like three Sundays. Suddenly, life in Egypt had gotten very insecure for those people in that town. Life had gotten full of doubt, and people wanted to know what God says. Many told me that through that tragedy that they saw firsthand, their values had forever 
changed. How they saw life on earth or life in Egypt, if you will, had been transformed. And that's kind of what happens here in Pharaoh's situation, although he doesn't go through the tragedy yet. He's warned of it. So let's look at the passage today. Uh, it's Genesis 41, verses, verse 17. And then I skip a bunch of verses because all he does really is recount the dream that he just recounted to his wise men. It's the same thing. So I just kind of discount that. If you guys remember, he says, I dreamed that there were seven uh, healthy cows and they came out of the Nile. Then seven like very sickly cows came out and they killed the healthy ones. There were seven years of corn on the stalks, and then there were seven uh, very unhealthy years of corn, and they consumed the healthy ones. That was his dream, and he just says it over again, so I wanted to skip that because I didn't want eight slides of Scripture up there. So let's just go. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, Joseph's been brought to them because nobody in Pharaoh's court can interpret the dreams. And the cupbearer says, hey, I remember this guy, Pharaoh, or this guy, Joseph. He's a, a Hebrew guy. He's at a prison for accused rape. He actually interpreted my dream correctly. You should call him. So Pharaoh brings Joseph in. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. And then, you know, the rest of the dream. And at the end of explaining the dream to Joseph, Pharaoh says, and I told it to my magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph says to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. And God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of tragedy or seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. It will be consumed. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will very shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers of the land to take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years of plenty. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That the food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So that's the story. <clears throat> Let's look at the historical. What about God? What, or what about man? What happens here and, and what's going on? I want to talk about how God speaks to Pharaoh. <clears throat> it's amazing because this is the most important day in Pharaoh's life. This is the day that God speaks to a pagan king who doesn't even believe he exists. Pharaoh doesn't wake up that day thinking this is the most important day I'll ever live, but it ends up being that. And in the process, by God's sovereign design, we'll look at that later, Pharaoh trusts a stranger. I mean, think about it now. Pharaoh actually considered himself a god. He, in Egyptian culture, the king was the conduit, the connection between mortal men and the spiritual world. He was, get this now, this is on a practical level, he was actually the king of the most long-standing, prolific empire in world history. 1,300 years, Egypt was the dominant force in the world. Did you know that? 
It's the longest standing empire in human history. This is the guy, the king of this empire. And Pharaoh says, listen, Joseph, my issue is a dream. But Joseph says, no, your issue is God. (laughs) Joseph said, what you need is truth. So that's what Joseph says. Joseph says, Pharaoh, only God can interpret your dream. That's what he said the last passage that we talked about last week. He has never met Joseph before. It's the first time he's laid eyes on him. All he knows is what his cupbearer has told him. He doesn't know anything about Joseph except what he has learned second and third hand. He didn't check references. He just said, bring him. And what Joseph does is he simply boldly declares what God wants Pharaoh to hear. Hey, king, you need truth. And immediately, Pharaoh confides in Joseph and says, look, here's my dream. The king of the physical world is talking to this lowly Hebrew prisoner accused of rape in jail for years, sold into slavery by his brothers, forgotten by the cupbearer for two years who promised he wouldn't forget. Guys, this is a fascinating miracle taking place right now. The king of the most prolific empire in history turns to Joseph. Why? Because he needs to hear from God. And the reason he needed to hear from God, the reason he was turning to Joseph is because Egyptian wisdom had failed him. Let's make sure we understand the circumstances that have brought Pharaoh to this place. Verses 18 through 24, in the first part of verse 24, he recounts these vivid dreams to Joseph. Verse 24, he confesses to Joseph, these guys behind me, the ones I put so much faith and trust in my whole life, they're useless. This is a desperate Pharaoh, and it's a stunning scene. Egyptian wisdom, had he only had that to rely on, had he only trusted Egyptian wisdom, it would have led to this great empire's demise. And they didn't even know it that day. Even though they didn't know God, only God could solve the problems that Egypt and Pharaoh were about to face. And what Joseph does is through God, he provides a remedy. The interpretation Joseph offers sobered Pharaoh immediately, enough so that he wanted to listen to and follow God's direction given through Joseph. This is the king of the world, basically. Joseph interprets a dream and Pharaoh says, what should we do? And through Joseph, God reveals the meaning of the dreams. And then through Joseph, God prescribes actions that will preserve Egypt for God's purposes. Salvation was possible for Pharaoh and his country if he listened to God's words and Joseph's wise discernment of them. Now, obviously, this event should be pretty significant in Egyptian history. In fact, I did a lot of research this week. There are many examples of archaeological evidence that support the biblical account of this 14-year event. Did you know that? There was, in fact... Egyptian account, there was, this, there was this story of this guy, and there was seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. It's, it's in Egyptian archaeology. So that is the history. What about the spiritual? What about God? What does he do, and how does he do it? I want to talk about how exactly God speaks. First of all, before God speaks, you have to understand, God never just throws words out for no reason. God always has a sovereign purpose. 
And through these dreams, by the way, that he authored, first for the cupbearer and the baker and Pharaoh, these dreams that God authored and interpreted through Joseph, God, what he has done, this is amazing, don't forget this, he has broken through a huge cultural and societal barrier that the Egyptians had between them and God, these things that they trusted that were antithetical to God, God, through these dreams and Joseph, has shattered this wall, this barrier, to speak truth in Egypt to a king that desperately needs to hear it and doesn't even realize it. God uses these circumstances Pharaoh could not control to humble a king. Humble him enough so that he seeks God's wisdom from the mouth of a Hebrew accused rapist. He provides this truth to this pagan king through Joseph, and it has profound impacts on the entire ancient world. This is a focal point in human history, and we don't even realize it sometimes. We talked about that last week, all the benefits that we reap today because of what Joseph did in Egypt. See, God had a purpose for this great empire. It was to be a tool for the preservation of his chosen people. So that's God's sovereign plan. Then I want to talk our purpose. I want to talk about God's sovereign process. You know what he uses? He uses the right circumstances, first of all. Not only does God confound the wise men who have no answers in Egypt, they can't even come up with a plausible idea. No, we're stumped, king. We have no idea what the cows and the corn mean. We have no idea. God uses the coming famine and the associated threat of the tragedy of it to leave Pharaoh in these circumstances desperate to hear truth. So he uses the right circumstances and he uses the right person. God brings the only, think about this, he brings the only Christian in the whole country. One, by the way, who Egypt itself had put him through hell. Joseph's been through hell in Egypt. And he uses this only Christian in the country to reveal his truth. God uses the right person at the right time. Oh, by the way, just in case you forgot, this person clearly has an amazing gift of administration. And this guy with this gift becomes a vessel of mercy. I mean, we see his gift of administration, don't we, in Potiphar, how he, Potiphar gave him the charge of his whole house. Then after his wife, Potiphar's wife accused him of rape, He's thrown in jail. Then the chief jailer says, you're pretty amazing. I'm giving you control of the whole prison. And later on, we find out, Pharaoh says, Joseph, you're pretty amazing. I'm going to give you control of the whole country. I mean, not only is Joseph a conduit for God's prophecy, God has also made him a man with gifts and skills to solve this horrible dilemma. He didn't stop at this famine is coming. You can't stop it. Let's hope things don't get too bad. No, he didn't stop there. Joseph gives Pharaoh counsel on what should be done. And I think, and I speculate here, let me just clarify, I speculate. I think the advice is God using Joseph's amazing foresight and administrative skills. Look, Pharaoh, here's the problem. And to fix it, you're going to have to do this. At least this is what I would do. I mean, Joseph has clearly shown throughout his life amazing skills to run big organizations. And he offers interpretation, and who else is in a place to give advice but him? 
Look at this verse in 2 Peter 1, 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the concept that is at work in Joseph right now before the king of the greatest empire the world has ever known. And there's a purpose for this process. I love what John Calvin says about the process of God speaking. He says, God gives prophecies that would form men to piety. In other words, humility would lead them to repentance and would excite them, motivate them to prayer when oppressed with fear. This is the process that God is using Joseph to do. Church, this was the greatest day in Pharaoh's life. And he didn't even realize it at the time. The last part of the spiritual part, what does God do? I want to talk about God's sovereign grace. The only way Pharaoh could hear and heed the words of a Hebrew prisoner claiming his God knows all is by divine intervention into Pharaoh's heart and mind. We will discuss this in great detail next week. I almost wanted to preach next week this week, but I know I got to go in order, but I'm really excited about next week. <laughs> next week is the most fascinating part of this story. But through God orchestrating these circumstances that make a king helpless with no control in that moment of helpless, no control, King of Pharaoh of King of Egypt. Here comes grace for his entire country. Can you see how the threat of tragedy was a gift from God, not just for Joseph, but for Pharaoh and all of Egypt culturally, socially, practically, there is no reason for Joseph to be standing in front of a desperate Pharaoh. Yet he is. But the dreams and the inability of the wise men to even attempt to interpret him, the fear of famine, and Joseph with all his incredible gifts, all combined put Pharaoh in the exact perfect place to hear truth and respond with faith in what God is saying. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. That's what Pharaoh was trusting in before. But the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is what's happening. This is an act of grace, wouldn't you agree? Pharaoh doesn't deserve the warning. This is the process that God uses again and again and again throughout the Bible and frankly in our lives today. This was the most important day in Pharaoh's life and he didn't even know what was happening around him. He had no idea he was going to get a visit from Almighty God that was going to save his bacon. Literally his bacon, storing up for the next seven years, literally. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the personal side. What about us? What do we do? I want to talk about our best day. This was the social media campaign from this week. Uh, tragedy or fear of it often creates a desire to hear from God. To start off, the personal application of this passage, I want to talk about humble listening. Sadly for us, and I think you would agree with this, the human heart is really not inclined naturally to seek God's truth 
unless it experiences circumstances beyond its control. I mean, think about it. We would never really choose tragedy on our own. What you doing today? I think I'm going to choose to go through tragedy. <laughs> I need it. It'll be good for me spiritually. That's not us. But understanding the reality of tragedy is so crucial to our spiritual development and our spiritual discernment. Look, it's hard to deny that tragedy creates humility, is it not? It's hard to deny that tragedy creates a thirst to hear from God and seek his wisdom. Do you remember any times in your life where looming or realized tragedy suddenly drew you to turn your attention to heavenly dad for wisdom and comfort? Maybe like Pharaoh, it was a somber warning of tragedy to come that needed to be addressed beforehand to be able to manage it or avert it. Or perhaps the tragedy was the reality of the, your own earthly consequences of your sin. Consequences of tragedy looming on the horizon. Maybe they were financial. Maybe they were legal. Yo, there's a warrant out. <laughs> Some of you that laugh, I'm a little concerned. But <laughs> Maybe the tragedy looming was personal. Perhaps maybe the tragedy was a frightening diagnosis from doctors for you or for someone you love. Maybe, just maybe, it was a personal tragedy like Joseph had experienced time and again that caused you to be an acute listener. See, it's that humility those moments of humility that come by faith that drive us to turn away from the wisdom of Egypt and to God for answers, just like the king of earthly wisdom, Pharaoh, did that day. And so that is the example of our humble listening. This is what tragedy does. This is what loss, this is what pain does. It humbles us and it causes us to run to hear truth from the person who actually has it. And to do that, we have to have our trusted source, right? I mean, we, if we're going to listen, we got to have something we know is good. And it's in that moment, today, we don't turn to dreams. We are given something far more personal, far more tangible, far more accessible, and far more miraculous than dreams could ever dream of being. It's in Hebrews chapter 1. One through two that God, through Paul, explains long ago and at many times and in many ways, dreams being one of them, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, in these final days, that means these days after Christ and the Holy Spirit, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to be heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This is our new trusted source. And his son the scripture says very clearly, we think of Jesus and the word as the same thing. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. It's the word of God. It's his son. As Joseph was to Pharaoh, God's Holy Spirit, his word, 
His Son, the gospel and the cross are to us today. The Spirit of God comes to us like Joseph went to Pharaoh, providing the most important interpretations we will ever hear. And what is that interpretation? Let's talk about our best day. Just like Pharaoh with Joseph, the day that we learn our eternal fate is not in our control, the day that we learn it's not about just living life and dying and nothing after, like an atheist would believe, the day we learn it's not about works and religion, like many believe, the day we learn that our fate is not in our control and we seek God's wisdom and truth about, well, whose control is it in? That's our greatest day. Hebrews 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. You see the tie to Joseph? The ultimate looming tragedy that should grab our attention in life is eternity without connection to heavenly dad the author of truth and salvation. The most important truth that we will ever hear is the day that Heavenly Dad reveals to us the depths of our own personal total depravity and desperate need for the cross to head off a looming demise of our souls. That is the most important looming tragedy that we can hear about. Understanding the ramifications of this tragedy should create and drive us to absolute humility, just like it did for Pharaoh, knowing that we need and want to hear from God about how to head this off. Through the Holy Spirit and the gift of faith, we become like Pharaoh was, asking, well, what does God have to say about it? Because I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. And we, by a natural or by a supernatural miracle, are driven to seek God's truth about redemption through the cross. It is, in fact, the day we understand our depravity. Before, we don't think we're that depraved. We're just, we're okay, you know, 50-50. That's not really much of a tragedy. But when we realize, oh boy, I'm hopeless. That, in fact, is the ultimate teachable moment, is it not? The day that our looming spiritual tragedy shows us where to go for wisdom and the truth that we need when we need it the most, that is the greatest day of our individual lives. Not the day you got that great job. Not even the day you said, you said hello to your first child. Not the day that you were married. Those are great days, but they pale in comparison to the day that God revealed to you the state of your spirituality without Christ. And when he said, turn to me, heed my warning, Follow my call to put your trust in the cross of Christ, his resurrection for the forgiveness of sin, and get the gift of eternal life. It is, in fact, that moment, that Pharaoh-like moment, but on a spiritual eternal level, it is, in fact, the sweetest moment when that looming spiritual tragedy enables us to see our desperate eternal need for Christ. The day that God speaks to us in Egypt and through his spirit and his word and says, hey, you're hopeless. 
but here's the way out. Heavenly Dad, we're thankful for the day that you spoke to us in Egypt. You came to us with the reality of what we were facing without your intervention. And you gave us life. You gave us the gift of faith. Thank you for not hiding the reality of our looming tragedy of separation from you for all eternity and revealing it to us so that we could trust and repent, be redeemed and transformed. Help us to be humble listeners. Help us to remember that best day ever, the moment that you intervened, broke through cultural and religious barriers in our life and said, hey, I got news for you. But if you listen to me, it'll have a great ending. 